What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to another edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. Thank you so much for listening. And this week, I feel like we've been waiting for this week. Some may say for a month, last month. Some may say for two years since its original release date. Some may say... 30 years since the original movie came out, and some may say an entire lifetime. The movie is Top Gun Maverick. It stormed the box office this past week. Everyone I know pretty much has seen it and loved it, and I can't wait to finally talk about it with you guys. So that is coming up momentarily. Also, of course, we got some uh, thoughts on uh, Stranger Things Season 4, Toscana, a new movie on Netflix and a couple of uh, older streaming suggestions that I think you'll love to watch this weekend. So much to talk about, guys. Thank you uh, for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing. If you want to uh, get in touch with me, I just want to mention that off the top, you can do that at Mr. Matt Craig on Twitter or through my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com. Let me know if you've seen Top Gun Maverick uh, or any of these other movies what you think of them, uh, what your experience was of watching them. In the case of Top Gun Maverick in the theater, there's been some crazy ones. All right, we can't delay it any longer. Not one more second. Let's talk about Top Gun Maverick. There have been times in the past couple of months, and I guess really since the start of my newsletter almost four years ago, that's crazy to say, When I complain about movies that don't seem to know why they exist. Who is this for, I ask, often in whiny, overcooked rantings. But there has maybe never been a movie that has known its purpose for existence more definitively than Top Gun Maverick. From opening gong and guitar solo over the opening credits, to soaring Lady Gaga vocals over the end credits, the latter of which was met in many screenings, including mine, with a standing ovation. This movie sets its missile lock on maximum audience enjoyment, and it succeeds in becoming an almost overwhelming exercise of the pleasure sensors most adult moviegoers moviegoers haven't had serviced in years, unless, of course, they've fallen under the mass psychosis of the Marvel machine. I've heard or read or seen of dozens of people crying at various nostalgic moments throughout the movie, fist-pumping during action sequences, and standing to applaud when it was over. It's really refreshing in this era of ironic detachment, which is another of my common complaints, to see a movie that is unashamed to take itself seriously while also being entirely comfortable with audiences not taking it too seriously. Corny? Cheesy? Over-the-top? Great. Send it. Full send it. These same adults, who prognosticators assumed must be hesitant to return to theaters because of COVID, rather than the obvious lack of appealing offerings for their demographic, have showed up to the tune of $200 million domestically and over $330 million worldwide and counting. The narrative will be easy to write that Tom Cruise, quote, saved the movies, since he just had the biggest opening weekend of his career and paid off Paramount's trust in holding the movie more than two years since its initial release date. No capes or kryptonite required. But the truth is that Top Gun Maverick succeeded by stealing the Marvel playbook. Fan service is the name of the game in MCU, and as in all modern blockbusters, of which this certainly is one. 
No one would mistake this movie as the artistic vision of any one auteur. Every aspect of it feels like it's been touched and worked over, considered, and market tested by thousands of different people. In this environment, the primary loyalty is to the core IP. Story logic does not follow real-life logic, but rather the logic of its own cinematic universe, to borrow the term du jour. That's why the plot of this movie is almost a carbon copy of the original, including a handful of scenes that are literal recreations. I'm thinking of the opening aircraft carrier sequence, Maverick on the motorcycle, Great Balls of Fire in the bar, the surprise instructor introduction in the hangar classroom, etc., etc., etc. There's callbacks. Uh, I'm thinking of like the planes going verted on top of each other or Maverick buzzing the tower. There's Easter eggs like Jennifer Connelly's character who literally is just first mentioned offhand in a joke in the original movie. And there's feel-good character reintroductions like Val Val Kilmer as Iceman. When done well, this stuff is effective in creating the kinds of reaction, tears, screaming, intense fandom, that might be familiar to fans of the MCU or anyone who's seen those YouTube videos of audience reactions in theaters for something like Spider-Man when Andrew Garfield takes off his mask and people are screaming and like it's a rock concert. I guess the reason why I can celebrate these some of these same storytelling choices here that I always criticize Marvel for is because, quite simply, it's a real human story. A hundred times out of a hundred, I will take the full weight of blockbuster resources being used on fighter jets and beach bars in San Diego rather than the indecipherable CGI punch fests between gods and alien monsters on some faraway planet of gobbledygook. Even the obvious appeals to universality, whether it's the unidentified amorphous enemy nation or very broad character sketches or the cast diversity, which I'll admit feels almost token. It's, uh, (laughs) yeah, I won't say any more about that. Uh, Or even the overly tame sex scene, if you can even call it that. All that universality, it doesn't anger me like it normally would because here it doesn't reek of commercialism. Nobody is trying to sell action figures or theme park rides here. And all the smoothing of these jagged edges allows viewers to turn off their critical brains entirely and surrender themselves to the experience. And what an experience it is. The action sequences in this movie are some of the most incredible ever filmed, thanks to new technology that allowed director Joseph Kosinski to mount six IMAX-quality cameras inside the cockpit of actual fighter jets and choreograph most of the flying sequences practically from the pilot's point of view. Those visuals, combined with pulse-pounding audio effects and music, creates the kind of exhilarating thrill ride that really does remind you why movies in movie theaters can be so special. Of course, none of this would be possible without Cruz, who is the sun around which all these planets orbit. He's more stuntman than actor at this point in his career, but he continues to tell Father Time, well, and Ed Harris in one of the early scenes in the movie in which he's told the the world is moving on without him, Quote, not today. (laughs) His charisma and ability to shoulder the load of not just a movie but an entire franchise is once again on display. Around him is the perfect ensemble cast. There's Miles Teller and Glenn Powell playing cocky, a-hole young fighter pilots they were born to play, improving there may be a future to this franchise in a post-Cruise world, which, now that I think about it, would have to come quite literally when Cruise has left the world. 
Throw in Harris admirably for a scene or two. John Hamm in a thankless part as stodgy authority figure who we're supposed to hate, number two. And Jennifer Conley in a more thankless part as romantic interest, number two. Plus dynamic young faces to fill in the flight crew. I'm thinking of Monica Barbaro, Jay Ellis, Lewis Pullman. And you've got the kind of cast who people can fall in love with time and time again, which is exactly what they will do. People will go back to the theater a second time and a third time and rewatch this movie for years to come because movies aren't dead. They simply haven't serviced us this well in a long, long time. Okay, every week I give you something new, something old, and something to stream. This week, something new. Everyone's talking about it. It's Stranger Things Season 4 on Netflix. Now, I didn't necessarily intend for Millie Bobby Brown to become this newsletter's public enemy number one, but I'm not shying away from it either. People have been asking me if I've watched these new episodes, knowing everything I said about Enola Holmes. You definitely want to check out that review either in the archives of this podcast or at my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com, and then you can just search for Enola Holmes. I really went in on that movie, and all I'm going to say now is that I stand by every word I said about Millie Bobby Brown then. All right, the other something new this week is also on Netflix. It's Toscana. If you don't use your Netflix account for virtual tourism, then you're doing it wrong. You can travel around the world from your couch with the help of Anthony Bourdain or Formula One or, in this case, a fictional Michelin star Danish chef who inherits a villa in Tuscany and goes there to, I don't know, learn the true meaning of life? I don't really remember because I was too busy ogling the beautiful vistas and even more beautiful food in this movie. And across 90 minutes, that's all I or you really need. This week's Something Old came out in 1997. It's now on HBO Max, and it's Copland. Rest in peace at just 68 years old to screen legend Ray Liotta, who may have had a lot of bad movies in his career, but is also a big part of some of the most iconic films ever put to celluloid, like Goodfellas and Field of Dreams. And he continued to be prolific with his more recent work in Marriage Story and The Many Saints of Newark. All those felt like two obvious suggestions uh, in his memory. So I sought out one this week that's a little more off the beaten path. Seeing Sylvester Stallone attempt serious acting was enough to make me avoid this movie, Copland, for years. But it's a sign of the times that Stallone could be a lead actor in a movie that also features Ray Liotta. Robert De Niro, Harvey Keitel, Peter Berg, Noah Immermich, who you might know as the assistant coach from Miracle, and Michael Rappaport, who you might know as the part-time ESPN bloviator. It's really everything I love about 90s movies in that it's got a really clever premise, which is a sheriff of a town whose residents are all police officers investigates corruption. And it's played in the most earnest going-for-it way. That's the specialty for extremely capable writer-director James Mangold, who would go on to make earnest send-ups like Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma, Logan, and Ford vs. Ferrari. The movie is really good, and not even in an ironic way. Stallone is a bit of a curious figure as a sad sack pushover in the first half of the movie, 
making his obvious turn into badass hero cop all the more enjoyable. Definitely, Copland is a big recommend from me. This week, Something to Stream is on Amazon Prime. came out last year, and it's The Wrath of Man. Last Halloween, me and my friends dressed up like characters from The Gentleman, an infinitely quotable Guy Ritchie movie that barely anyone had seen. Very on brand for me. However, the movie dropped on Netflix last month and spent a fair amount of time in the streamer's top 10, so all of a sudden I started getting texts and messages from friends being like, oh, I get it now, The Gentleman. If you're a fan of Richie's in-your-face style cockney gangster movies like The Gentleman, Rock and Rolla, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, or the best of the bunch, Snatch, then you will want to make sure to catch this entry about a mysterious man, played by Jason Statham, who joins the police force and very quickly proves to be much more adept than the PD had bargained for. It's not cockney, regrettably, but amongst the hyper-masculine movie-going crowd who love Top Gun, it's a pretty fun streaming movie. I reviewed it in full and said very, very favorable things a year ago. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. And as I mentioned, I hope that you're able to get out to the biggest, loudest theater you can and watch Top Gun Maverick. I was able to see it in an IMAX theater. It was awesome. And I'm already planning, as I mentioned in the review, to go see it again. Um, You can head over to my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com. There you'll find this week's trailer watch, which is for a movie called The Menu, starring Ralph Fiennes, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Nicholas Holt about a fine dining restaurant that also has some, like, culty crime stuff going on on the side. It looked really cool, and I actually hadn't heard of it until I saw the trailer. So uh, you're, you're going to want to head over there and check that one out. As for next week's show, uh, it's kind of a, a little bit of a dry week. It's funny that the theater or that the calendar is cleared out for Top Gun, which is going to dominate the box office again this week. So I'm not sure what we're going to talk about next week. But coming after that, in rapid succession, it's going to be the new Jurassic uh, World movie, then Lightyear, which has gotten great buzz. buzz. And then the week after that, at the end of the this month, is Elvis, uh, which is I can't wait to I can't wait to see that too. So we got we have good movies coming down the pipeline. I continue to say to anyone who will listen that I think this is going to be 2022 is going to be a great movie year. Already had the Batman. Already had. Uh, worst person in the world, everything, everywhere, all at once, and now Top Gun Maverick. So this is going to be an awesome movie year, guys. You're going to want to stay tuned. And until next Friday, as I like to say, I guess I'll see you at the movies.